0: Good morning, everyone. Um, I noticed that uh, when Jocelyn was reading it, she looked like a cyborg because this microphone looked like it was coming out of her right eye to me. Um, So I'm just going to... I I am here and I'm human. Just let you know that. Um, Jordan, could we have my first slide, please? Just while that's coming up. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you that you are our sovereign Lord. We praise and thank you, Lord, that nothing catches you by surprise in this world or in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that uh, we can rely on you in all things. And Lord, as we open this very familiar passage... Please be with us, lead and guide us, and help us to understand it even more. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, okay. It's not there. (laughs) So we arranged something so I could see which slides were coming up, but it's blank. That's right, I'll just keep going. Now, I'm sure that many of you are familiar with this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. But even if you're not, it's a wonderful, wonderful miracle, isn't it? John calls them signs because what do signs do? What do signs do? They point. And the signs in John's Gospel point to... I'm pulling teeth here. To Jesus. (laughs) Okay, good. Thank you for that. Excellent. Now, do you know that down in verse 10, if you've got your Bibles open, please um, just follow on. Verse 10 of John chapter 6 tells us that there were 5,000 men. Now, this was a, a bygone age, ladies. So, you know, this is... the how Israel was at the time. Um, but we know now that, that while well, there might have been 5,000 men, there were probably fifteen to 20,000 there, including women and children. So I'm going to call it the miracle of the 20,000. Is that okay? Right. It's a Sunday school favourite. Um, and this is the only miracle or sign recorded in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, it's there in each one of them. And it's a lovely picture of Jesus, isn't it? We we kind of had that enacted out this morning with the kids. I love that. This lovely Jesus there wanting to help people, caring for the hungry people and then a little boy offering his lunch to treat the 20,000. You get how ridiculous it sounds? Five loaves, two fish, twenty thousand people. Well, just imagine this happening today, Jordan, if you next slide, thanks. Oh have you kind of have they been sleeping this morning? We do this, don't we? If this had happened back, uh, or, uh, what happened in Jesus' time happened now, you'd have people saying, But I only have gluten free, I'm a vegan, etc., etc. Um, but no, this was happening to people who were quite hungry, and there's much more to this miracle than just the feeding of the 5,000. So, despite our familiarity with Um, the miracle we've got to continue to apply john's reason for writing his gospel next slide thanks john writes at the end of his gospel but these are written that you may believe that jesus is the christ the son of god and that by believing you may have life in his name just take that in what john has written throughout his gospel was written so that you and I may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So when we read anything in John's gospel, that's what's behind it. There's a purpose in everything. This particular miracle or sign is the fourth of seven signs um, and you can see on the screen there, it's the middle one, number four. Um, we'll just keep that there, or if you can blank it out, that would be good. Thanks, Russell. This morning, though, I want us to focus on something really important, the test. Now, who loves uh, There's a handful of people oh, My wife's tentatively putting her hand up. But I put this up there for her and maybe the other cricket lovers. The test, that terrible test uh, between Australia and India where we lost. And that was televised by Channel 7. But my wife is a cricket fanatic. Can I just let you know this? I'm a cricket widower during cricket season. And... She will follow the cricket no matter how she has to do it. So we only have free-to-air TV TV at home. But when cricket's on and it's not televised or not on the radio, she will go to her computer and she'll get it up on the computer screen and it will be numbers ticking over. And I'll hear this, yes, because they got another run in the last half hour. Don't you love Test Cricket? It's like watching uh, grass grow. Uh, it just goes on and on and on for five days. But my dear wife is there She's saying, Yes, so and so got someone out. But of course, that's all kind of after it's happened because it's got to go into the television and then be processed and then she sees it. No pictures, no pictures, by the way, just numbers. Ah, Anyway, what I'm going to talk about this morning is not cricket. Isn't that good? It's a different kind of test. So let's look at what we know. In the previous chapter, Jesus had been in Jerusalem attending an unnamed Jewish feast, 35 kilometres away from where this miracle occurs. Jesus healed a man who'd been an invalid for 38 years. The healing took place on the Sabbath, and the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, started their process heading towards what they would do to Jesus on the cross. Okay? From this, this point of time on in John's Gospel from chapter 5, Jesus is in constant opposition from the Jewish leaders who challenged his authority. So in John 6 to 115 we know that Jesus was now back in Galilee. So if you look in your Bibles there, just at verse 1 at the moment, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now, that's a bit of a distance away, but that little blue bit there amongst the colour at the top, that's the Sea of Galilee. That blue bit down the bottom is the Dead Sea. And if you look to the top of the Dead Sea on the bottom there and go to your right, you'll see Jerusalem. Then if you go to the top of the Sea of Galilee, you'll see the red arrow pointing to Bethsaida. So 135 kilometres, no trains, no motorbikes, no um, cars, No plains. That was a walk for Jesus and his followers. So we go on in verse 2, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. So here's the roughly 20,000 people there gathered and this is the background setting for what is about to happen look at verse 5 in your bibles when jesus took looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him he said to philip where shall we buy bread for these people to eat it's a fair question isn't it mark gives us a little bit more information about jesus response to the crowd In Mark chapter 6, verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. So in Mark's gospel, the focus is more on Jesus teaching this crowd because they were like sheep without a shepherd, like people without a leader. And it seems... Of course, that Jesus' compassion extends to every part of who we are as a human being, to our spiritual side and to our physical side. So look back there um, in verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, why would he ask Philip? I mean, he could have asked any of the others, couldn't he? Why did he ask Philip? Well, we already know this because in John chapter 1, verse 44, we read these words. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So not just Philip, but Peter and Andrew were from the same place. Have, just have a quick look at the map again. Um, that's where it's happening there, up where that red arrow arrow is at the top of the screen. It seems a natural question, doesn't it? Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? These people are hungry. We saw that with the kids this morning. But we're then told in verse 6, he asked this only to test him. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. So this was a test for Philip. In verse 7, Philip answered him, Oh, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. The answer sounds so practical, doesn't it? In those days, um, people earned one denarii a day or one denarius a day. Today, if we looked at this, eight months' wage, at the minimum wage is about $30,000. So this is what Philip's saying. Yeah, we need to feed these people, but it's going to cost us a packet. $30,000. And Philip is thinking that this is impossible because, you see, next slide, he couldn't go along to the local Woolies and Coles, could he? And... To feed fifteen or 20,000 people, I don't know if the local Woolies or Coles could cope with that. Philip was thinking in purely worldly terms. Humanly speaking, this was impossible, wasn't it? it? Let's immerse ourselves in what's going on here. This, humanly speaking, was absolutely impossible. But Philip had been with Jesus. And he'd observed Jesus perform many miracles before this. He'd seen the impossible turned into the possible by God. But still, Philip could not understand the test Jesus was giving him. Then Andrew, another of the disciples from Bethsaida, speaks up in verse 9. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? It does seem like an impossible task. Here's a bit of a comparison. This is what those five barley loaves and two fish would have looked like. Just imagine a Jat's biscuit. That's the size of the barley loaf. And a sardine. That was the size of the fish amongst 20,000 people well, I guess that Andrew had at least found something. Look with me in verses 10 and 11. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And not only did they eat as much as they wanted, but... We go on in verses 12 and 13. When they all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Jesus did what was humanly impossible. Jesus, the son of God, did what was humanly impossible and there was also more left over than when he started. Friends our resources like Philips are so incredibly limited aren't they? Whether it's looking after ourselves or trying to care for others so often our resources barely get us through each day. To feed 20,000 people from five loaves and two fish is impossible for us. We can barely deal with our own problems, let alone the problems of others. We can't even deal with our own sinfulness. Now, I don't know what your backgrounds are. I don't know whether you're kind of here to kind of explore who Jesus Christ is. But when the Bible talks about sin, it's talking about human rebellion against God. Right? That, that's the source of sin. All the wrong things we see going on in the world today, the cause is people rebelling against God and not wanting him to rule their life, not wanting him in their lives. So we can't even, that's called sin. We can't even deal with our own sinfulness where there is nothing that we can do to avert God's judgment on us. We don't have the resources to be good enough. We can't change ourselves to be as good as God wants us to be. It's impossible. We are powerless. But the Son of God's resources are without limit. He who created the heavens and the earth could heal the sick and the lame. He could give sight to the blind. He could raise the dead to life. He could turn water into wine. He could feed 20,000 people from five little loaves and two fish. And this Jesus can help you with whatever you face in life. Jesus could even take our place on a cross and die for our sins. Friends, if you haven't put your trust in Jesus yet, what's holding you back? Do you want to be forgiven? Do you want to be given God's wonderful gift of eternal life? Or do you want to go on just as you are? Philip's test was to trust Jesus. But on this occasion, he failed. But there is good news. Philip's worldly thinking and dependence changed. He learned to stop depending on himself and to depend on Jesus. He was with the faithful when Jesus ascended to heaven. He was there on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down and was really the birth of the Christian church. He was there even to lead an Ethiopian eunuch to faith and salvation in Jesus. Sorry about the Greek Orthodox way of painting things. Um, Philip was there in chapter 8 of Acts to tell many other people about the good news of Jesus Christ. And this church, Sure Hope, is about telling people that good news about Jesus Christ, isn't it? Of taking that out there into the community so that people can be set free from the things that hold them down. In a real sense, Jesus still tests us today with this question. Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? In other words, who are you really relying on? in your life. Later in this chapter, Jesus will say in John 6 verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. When people ask you or you hear people saying, how can I cope with life? Why has my loved one died? How do I continue to live without that loved one? When people ask, what is the meaning of life? Am I just here to kind of be a baby, a teenager, an adult, an old person, then die? Just to feed my face and go on and on how can i find forgiveness is another question people ask i'm not so much here talking about the forgiveness of sins but i'm talking about the accumulated guilt that we carry around with us as human beings guilt for having said something that's we've lost a friendship over guilt for not being there for someone when we should have been. But all of these things can be forgiven. What do we say when people say, where can I turn for help? Or even they ask you, what did you do last Sunday morning? You say, oh, nothing much. You're afraid of telling people that you go to church? How do we answer? Do we try to answer with our limited human resources? Do we get scared of saying something about Jesus? Do we say, Look, I don't know what to say? Or do we say to ourselves, I don't know enough about the Bible. I I haven't memorised any Bible verses. I don't know really what to say. What if they ask me this question, that question? Friends, can I tell you, down through the centuries, people have used that same excuse. People who are Christians have used that same excuse. I don't know enough. I'm frightened. I might give them the wrong answer and put them off. But the God we believe in has unlimited resources. Do we depend on our own understanding or have we learned to trust Jesus and point people to him? One thing that we can be sure of is that through this life, Jesus will continue to test us until he returns. Is our answer going to be, oh, we need $30,000 to do that? Or are we going to trust Jesus? May we learn to trust and depend on Him, and may our worldly thinking change to dependence on the limitless resources of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, friends, may we, even in our own simplicity, point other people to Jesus, the one who can answer all their needs and supply all their needs. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we we thank you for this uh, account of Jesus feeding all these people. Lord, forgive us when we attempted to reply the way that Philip did. Not looking to you, not seeking your help, not seeking your resources. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to trust you. And when we're in situations that we find really difficult and know that we don't have the resources, help us then, Lord, to remember this miracle and this test that Philip was put through. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.